Let's spend some time in prayer. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you that you were one God, yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, we're so glad you put on flesh and came to earth, and you revealed to us what God is like, that our God is full of grace and truth, and we praise you. And we're here today because we need grace. We are broken, needy people, and, and we need grace, and we need truth. We hear so many voices, and, and we're here today because we want to hear the truth, the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, as we open up your word today and read it, may you fill our hearts with grace and truth. And may we be so filled up with grace and truth <clears throat> that as we go out this week, that we would give grace away and truth away because we live in a community starved for both grace and truth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our message today is called Homeward Bound, and I don't know about you, but I love watching videos of a homecoming by, of our soldiers when they come home and are welcome, don't you? Don't you love those where a soldier's been deployed and, the, and then they come home and, and their family welcomes them so and often deployed for a year or two years? We're going to learn today about someone who was deployed for 20 years. His name is Jacob and he was deployed in a foreign country for 20 years. And we're going to read the story of his homecoming and how special it was. And as we learn about that, I want us just to imagine too that we're homeward bound. You ever stop and think of what it'll be like when we go home and what that welcome will be like. But what I want you to realize is that Jacob went home 20 years later very different from when he left because life humbles us, doesn't it? When Jacob left home, he was proud and, and, and arrogant and, and over 20 years in a foreign country, he was, um, he was away long, way longer than he imagined and he had been deceived over and over again by his father in law Laban, and when he went home, he was much more humble than when he left. <laughs> Doesn't life humble us? Let me tell you, life has so humbled me. I, I can remember uh, getting married thinking, the world has never seen a husband as great as me. <laughs> and you're laughing way too much, you know. <laughs> and, and marriage has is, is humbled me. And, um, and then I, you know, was going to be a dad, and I thought, wow, Listen, I'm going to be like the best dad ever, and, but parenting has humbled me. And uh, then being a pastor, I thought, wow, I'm going to really, really do a good job. And, and you know, um, pastoring has really, really, really humbled me. And I have found that every day I get closer to home, I become more humble than I was the day before. How about you? Because what? Life humbles us, doesn't it? And that's why I love the story we're about to read. We're, we're going to learn about Jacob today. And I want to remind you that in, that in Genesis, we've been walking through getting to know patriarchs. I like to call them heroes. And I want to remind you the difference between a hero and a savior. Heroes inspire us. A savior saves us. My heroes are not my savior, but they do inspire us. And I think as we read the story of Jacob going home more humble than he left, it will inspire us too as we go home, day by day becoming more humble. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 31. We're going to walk through three chapters. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read them all. I'll read some of the verses and then fill it in with story. 
But I want you to know he's now 97 years old. He's 97 years old when he starts his homeward bound journey. Um, Genesis 31, starting in verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father's and has made all this wealth. Um, do you see the envy there? They envied what Jacob had. Is there envy in our culture? Is there? And know what they noticed too? They noticed income inequality. Know what they noticed is that Jacob had a lot more than they had, and so they thought he must have taken it from us. But it's interesting, God had blessed Jacob, and not only had God blessed Jacob, but he had blessed the people because Jacob was there, but God blessed Jacob with more than what they had, and boy, they wanted to get rid of Jacob and take back what they thought was theirs. Isn't it interesting how people don't change over time? Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Jacob says, listen, dad doesn't like me too much anymore. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your, for of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. It's time to go home, Jacob. Time to go home, and I will be with you every step of the way. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. He says, listen, your father's attitude toward me has changed. We need to go home. We need to go home. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. Wow. So he talked to Rachel and, and he talked to Leah and they agreed to go with him back to the promised land. Now I talk about humility. How do we see humility? I see humility in the story in obedience that, that God said to Jacob, it's time to go home. And Jacob said, okay. He didn't say what we often say, which is what? But. He didn't say, but, but, but. He, he said, okay, we need to go. Secondly, I want you to notice dependence. Part of humility is being dependent upon God. And he says, God said he'd be with me. That's why I believe we can make it safely home. And I believe in humility too. We give glory to God. And he says, listen, God has protected me. God has blessed me. God has done all these things for me. So Jacob has 11 sons. He has four wives. He has a daughter and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animals. And he, and he gets them all together in camels and he begins the 500-mile journey back to home. Now, on the way, in front of him there's trouble because there's Esau. And 20 years before, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. So he had trouble in front of him and he had what? He had trouble behind him. He knew that when Laban found out he was gone, Laban would come chasing after him, and he had trouble with him because his wife, Rachel, had stolen her father's household idols. Yes, somehow Rachel believed in, in God, and yet she hung on to some of the past two, the household idols. So he had trouble in front of him, trouble behind him, and trouble with him. You ever feel that way? On the journey home, what? There's trouble in front of us and trouble behind us and trouble with us, and it's hard. Isn't it all the way home? So Jacob doesn't tell Laban. He just takes off when, when Laban is off shearing his sheep. Sure enough, Laban finds out, and he's not happy. Verse 22. 
When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey and overtook them in the hill country of Gilead. Jacob has his family and all of his animals. He's not making good time. Laban chasing him catches him, and his intent is probably to kill Jacob and bring his daughters and all that Jacob owns back. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. Don't harm Jacob. He's mine. God's plan was to work through Jacob to bring salvation to all the nations, including us. And so he was protecting Jacob on the way. So Laban can't kill Jacob. So he gets to Jacob and he says, Why have you deceived me? Why did you leave without telling me? I wanted to kiss my daughters goodbye. And Jacob says back, well, why did you deceive me time and time again while I worked for you? And then Esau says, well, why did you steal? Not Esau, Laban said, why did you steal my idols? And uh, Jacob says, I didn't steal your idols. And Jacob says, "You you can look through all of our things and whoever you find that has the idols, you can do to that person whatever you wish to do. And so Laban begins to go through all the different tents. And last of all, he comes into Rachel's tent. And Rachel has the idols, but she has them under a camel's saddle. She's sitting on a camel's saddle. And when Laban comes in, she says, the way of a woman is upon me, and I can't stand up. And Laban didn't want to get involved in all of that, so he just left. But uh, he didn't find the idols. Now, here's how this chapter ends. Laban said in verse 48, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. So they made a pile of stones as a witness between them. Therefore, it was named Galid and Mizpah, for he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent one from the other. Uh, I want to teach you uh, about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, that's a big word, isn't it? You know what, anybody know what hermeneutics means? It means the science of interpreting the scriptures. It means when you read a passage, how do you interpret it? And so hermeneutics goes historical and organic and grammatical and progressive revelation. Historical, when you read a passage, it's always good. What is the context? What is the context? So see what he said here? May the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent one from the other. That word is often used as a benediction in churches. I'm guilty. Or in youth groups, may the Lord watch between me and you while we're absent from one another. But if you read the context, what's the context? There's two deceivers. And what they're saying is, when I can't see you, God does. This is not a benediction. It's a mutual non-aggression pact. And that's why it's so important. If we want to understand Scripture, we understand what's the historical setting. What's the context? That's first. And then there's the organic, which means how does this passage fit into the rest of Scripture? And then the next is the grammatical. What are the words? What do the words say? And the last is progressive. That is, as we understand Scripture, Scripture progresses. The gospel becomes increasingly clear as we walk through the Scriptures. But I thought this was a great passage just to help you understand. It's always important to ask, what is the context if you want to understand the passage? So chapter 31 ends, 
And the danger behind him is now gone. He's dodged one bullet because Laban turns around and goes back. And now his mind turns to what lies ahead. Uh, and that's Esau, who had, was breathing threats 20 years ago, how I'm going to kill you. So now as he looks ahead, we start chapter 32, verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. God was with Jacob. He opened his eyes to see the angels of God surrounding him and protecting him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. So here he, he saw the angels, and here's what Jacob did. He sent several messengers ahead. They were to go ahead and let Esau know that he intended no harm. He was coming home in peace. He had plenty of possessions. But when they went out, they saw Esau coming, and he didn't look happy. There's no mention of an interaction, and he has 400 armed men with him. They're coming. Esau's coming with 400 armed men. So he runs back to Jacob and says, it doesn't look good. Here comes Esau. He has 400 angry men, and they're coming fast. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do? You what? Someone said what you, you pray, right? He, so Jacob um, humbled himself, and he prayed. And this is a great prayer. If you want to learn how to pray, I mean, what we do is in, in prayer is we humble ourselves before God. And isn't that what Jacob's doing? Here comes Esau with 400 men. Here's his family. He's defenseless. Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, return to you, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. What he's doing is he's praying God's word back to him. If you want to know how to pray, pray God's word back to him. You told me to go, and I'm walking in obedience to you. I'm doing what you asked me to do. I am unworthy of all your loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only, I crossed the Jordan. Now I have become two companies. Lord, all that I have, all my family, all these possessions. I had none of this. You gave them to me. It's been all your grace. See how he humbles himself before God? Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, and he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. Lord, I'm walking in obedience. I'm depending upon you. Please, please, please protect me, deliver me. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Remember, remember, you said you were going to bless me. You said you were going to make me a great multitude. Listen, I'm depending upon you to do what you said. Isn't that great? There's obedience. Listen, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm dependent upon you. I need you. I'm powerless. Get me safely home so that you can keep your promises and you can receive glory. So first he prays, and then after he prays, what he does is he sends group after group after group of animals with servants up ahead as gifts to uh, to Esau to let Esau know that he's not coming to conquer him. He has plenty of possessions. And as I read how Jacob prayed first and then he sent gifts, it reminded me of how Jesus taught us to live. Remember in Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you that we should start with prayer. 
And then he says, what seek and you will find, but don't, don't stop with prayer. After you prayed first, do what you can do. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So the first thing, not the last thing, the first thing Jacob did was he prayed, right? It was the first thing, but it wasn't the last thing. Then he sent these gifts so that Esau would know he was coming in peace and, and not in war. So he sends them out. We continue the story in verse 22. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children. Actually, he had 11 sons and a daughter, right, Dinah? And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. All night long he wrestled. And, um, and I really believe who he wrestled with was the Lord, because we'll see that in a minute, that that's who Jacob believed it was. And that's called a theophany, uh, an appearance of Christ before he was incarnate, that, that he came and wrestled with him. Do you ever wrestle with God all night? Do you, that there are so many troubles in your life and you're so overwhelmed that you just find yourself wrestling with God all night. Man, that's what my life my night was like last night. So many things going on in my life and ministry in the world, and I just found myself all night long wrestling with God in prayer. Do you ever do that? Jacob was wrestling with God uh, all night long in prayer. Um, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. So then the Lord just touches him. All this wrestling and then the Lord completely uh, incapacitates Jacob and dislocates his hip. Now he can't fight anymore. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. The Lord said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Listen, I'm not letting go. <laughs> My family's at stake. Listen, Esau's coming. I'm not letting go of you. Is that us in prayer? Man, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. So he, the Lord, said to him, what is your name? Remember the last time in Scripture someone asked that to, to Jacob? Who was it? It was his what? It was his father, Isaac, who said to him what? What is your name? And the last time he was asked that question by his father, what did he do? He, he lied, right? He said what? Esau. But this time, he's been humbled, right? Life has humbled him over the last 20 years. This time when he's asked your name, what is your name? He said the truth and he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, heel grabber, deceiver, but Israel. What does that mean? For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Listen, your name will be Israel, the one who wrestles with God, strives with God and men and prevails. You ever notice how God loves to change names? Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah and uh, Jacob to Israel and Saul to Paul and he changes our names too, right? He gives us a new identity when we put our faith in him. He calls us Christian, right? Uh, child of God, disciple. <clears throat> Your name will be Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. Tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. 
So, so the Lord blessed him. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to get you safely home. Don't worry. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. So now, chapter 32 ends, and, he, and he's right to the promised land. But what will that reunion be like? For 20 years, he's dreaded this moment. All the way back, he's been praying over this moment. And listen to how the reunion, how the homecoming unfolds. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. Oh, no. Uh-oh. And 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. Did you see what he did? <laughs> he, um, he divided up his family by how precious they were to him, right? Didn't he, he put what, the maids first, one maid and then the other, and then Leah, and he kept Rachel in the back, didn't he? Uh, but, but like a good le leader, what did he do? He went first, didn't he? But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. The last thing he heard 20 years before is, I'm going to murder you. And notice what happens. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. His homecoming was so much greater than he ever could have imagined. Esau's heart had been changed by God, and Esau welcomed him home. What a reunion. Can you imagine what it was like? How's mom? How's dad? To catch up over 20 years of being separated? Does that sound familiar to you? Have you heard that somewhere before? He ran to him to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they, Does that sound familiar? It sounds like what? There you go, the prodigal son story of the two sons and the ones in the far country. And the son in the far country, the prodigal says, listen, I'm going to go home. Maybe I'll be welcomed home as a servant. But it was so much better than he imagined because when he came home, what happened? His father ran to him, wept over him, kissed him, and welcomed him home. Do you ever stop and think of what it's going to be like? One of the things that gives us energy in this life is to think of what it's going to be like when we round that last corner and we go home. And the Father sees us, and Jesus sees us, and they run, and they welcome us home. This is a picture of our homecoming when Jesus welcomes us home. So Esau lifted his eyes, and he saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? Who are all these people? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant, they're all the children that God has graciously given to me. And then Esau said, what are all these animals that you sent to me? And Jacob said, listen, God has blessed me, and I've sent them to you because God wants me to be a blessed and a blessing to others. And then Jacob said, or Esau says, let me go with you all the way back to the promised land. And, and um, Jacob says, no, we're too slow We'll go on our own. And, and then Esau says, well, how about that I leave some of my servants here with you, some of my soldiers to protect you? And, and Jacob said, that's okay. God will get us safely home. And this chapter ends 
Verse 18, now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Haram and camped before the city, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Now Israel owned a piece of property in the promised land for the first time. Before this, all that his family owned in the promised land was a cave, right? A cave where... Sarah and Abraham were buried. But now there is a little piece of land that belongs to Israel. And that little piece is a picture of how one day soon what all of Israel, all the promised land would belong to Israel. And that land was just a picture of how one day heaven will come to earth and all the earth will be the Lord's one day. He will own and rule over it all, right? Um, well, he always, own, he always owns and rules over it, but heaven will come to earth. So here's how the story ends, that Jacob made it safely home because God was with him every step of the way. And I want you to know, that's a picture of our lives too, how that Jesus is with us and he's going to get us safely home too. So what we've learned so far is that life humbles us and what I want you to think about doing this week or to do this week is to walk humbly with Jesus, to walk humbly humbly with Jesus. And you say, well, how do you do that? The first step in walking humbly, humbly with Jesus is to pick our home. We need to pick our home. Let me ask you, where do you, want to spend, where do you want to spend eternity? Did you know that people are forever? It's either going to be eternal life or eternal punishment. It's going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. Where do you want your home to be? Uh, don't you want to choose heaven? Don't you want to choose eternal life? If you do, you need to choose so. Let me show you that. Look at the Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I love this verse because it so clearly shows the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. First the bad news, then the good news. Notice the bad news. See the word sin? That's a Bible word. It doesn't say mistakes. It doesn't say inappropriate. The word sin means a crime against God, that we commit a crime against God, and we've all committed crime after crime against God in thought and word and deed. And I want you to see the word wages. The word wages means that God is just, and the response of a just God to sin is to give us what we've earned, and if God gives us what we've earned for sinning against him, it's death, right? The wages of sin is death. See the word death? The wages of sin is not simply physical death when our bodies and spirits are separated from one another, but he's speaking of eternal death, which is the separation of our body and spirit from God and from all good things forever. That's what hell is. It's separation from God and from all good things. And that's what we deserve because of our sin. For the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. We don't have to get what we deserve. We can get what we don't deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the free gift. Look at eternal life. And where is it? It's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know Jesus? 
You see, Jesus is God the Son who put on flesh and, and He came to earth and, and, and He lived a perfect life for us and then He went to the cross. And what happened on the cross is Jesus became our substitute. He took our sin and then He took the penalty, the wages of sin and His death. He took the penalty that our sins deserve and He died in our place on the cross once and for all to pay in full the penalty for our sins. And we know that He did because He didn't just die, but He rose on the third day. And when He rose, that proved how He conquered sin and death for us. And then He offers to us the greatest free gift ever given, which is eternal life. Have you received it? Do you know what eternal life is? It's the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. It's the opportunity to do life with Jesus and spend eternity with Jesus, that we can choose our home to be with Him forever. And how do we get this free gift? Jesus tells us in John 6, verse 47. Matter of fact, would you read John 6, 47 with me, will you? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now, Jesus is speaking. Who does he say has eternal life? Who? Who? So if you believe, what does he say about you? That you have eternal life. And if you don't believe, what does he say about you? You don't have it, but wouldn't you like to? Wouldn't you like knowing where you'll spend eternity to leave here? Wouldn't you like knowing you're forgiven? Wouldn't you like knowing Jesus is with you? Jesus says the key to that is to believe. Well, Smiley, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it really is as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. Believing in Jesus begins when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you do that? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior. And Lord, I want you to come in and forgive me and, and give me eternal life and help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? You can do that right where you are. Come up after the service. I'd be glad to assist you. But listen, if we want to walk humbly with Jesus, we need to choose Jesus. We need to choose heaven as our home. And listen, I want you to know that if you've believed in Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, you have eternal life. And here's what that means. Jesus says, I have forgiven you of all your sins. I'm going to be with you and get you safely home. And it means that heaven is your home and you'll be with him forever. So once we choose our home, here's how we walk humbly with Jesus all the way home. To walk humbly with Jesus all the way home, we walk in obedience. We walk in obedience. Did you know that obedience is an act of humility? Because when Jesus says, follow me, and we say, no, isn't that pride? Isn't that I can run my life better than me? Don't tell me how to live. But when Jesus says, follow me, and we say, yes, Lord, you lead and I'll follow, isn't that humility? You can run my life better than me. Have it your way. And isn't Jesus our model for life and ministry? If we want to know how to live life, doesn't Jesus say what? He says what? Follow me. And if we want to know how to make a difference in the world, what does he say? He says, follow me. So what is the humble life? The humble life is following Jesus. The humble life is following Jesus in dependence, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus... <clears throat> Not only are we forgiven, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. And you know why he gives us the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit gives us the desire and the power to follow Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit loves to exalt Jesus. Look at the life he lived. Isn't that the life you want to live? Follow Jesus. Look at the way Jesus did ministry. Isn't that the way you would like to do life? Follow Jesus. Man, I'm so thankful we've been given the Holy Spirit, aren't you? I mean, isn't life hard, isn't it? Don't you feel like, don't you feel like Jacob sometimes? There's, there's problems in front of you. There's problems behind you. There's problems with you. Isn't it overwhelming at times? Holy Spirit, help me, help me. You know what life seems to me to be like? It's like surfing in St. Augustine during a Northeaster. Surfers get that right. I mean, the waves aren't coming in in sets in a Northeaster. What is just one wave after another, right? Bam, bam, bam. And what you're doing, you're paddling as hard as you can, but you're what? You're going back. You ever feel that way? That you're paddling but going backwards? I feel that so much. I'm trying and going backwards, don't you? And you know what I pray when I'm really, really overwhelmed? I just say, Holy Spirit, help me to take the next step. Help me to take the next step. Help me to take the next step and help me to enjoy each step. Help me to enjoy each step. Don't we need help to follow Jesus, don't we? Listen, to walk humbly with Jesus is to walk in obedience. It's to walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. To, to walk humbly with Jesus is to exalt Him, to glorify Him, to make much of Him. That's why I love being a Christian. I'm not here to make much of me. I'm here to make much of Him, aren't you? And I do think if I had one verse to share the gospel, if I had one verse to exalt Jesus, it might be Romans 6.23. I, I love this verse, don't you? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hear so much today about justice, and, and I long for justice. Don't you? Don't you long for justice? And I want you to know God is just, and one day there will be justice on earth. But, but I want to tell you something. I am so, so thankful that I didn't get justice with God. Are you? I am so thankful I didn't get what I deserved. Do you? Do you know the first time I sinned and every time I have sinned, I deserve to be struck dead on the spot and to spend eternity with hell. That's what I deserved. But you know what I've received? Grace. Know what I've received? Eternal life. Know what I've received? Forgiveness for all of my sins. I didn't get what I deserved. I got what I didn't deserve. You know what I've got? I've gotten the opportunity to do life with Jesus and to do eternity with Jesus in that place that our hearts long for. And because I've experienced so much grace, you know what I want to do for others? I want to give them grace. Don't you? Have you experienced grace? Wouldn't it be great if you gave grace? I mean, imagine this. Imagine what could happen this week if we came today and we were so blown away that we didn't get what we deserve. We've experienced grace. That when we went to our homes this week, we gave people not what they deserve, but we gave them grace. Imagine if we went to school, if we went to work, and what we did is we extended grace to others. Wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of an explosion of grace in our lives and community and world, wouldn't it? Um. That's what I'm praying for, an explosion of grace. 
You see, we're on our way home. And Jesus wants us to walk humbly with him all the way home, walking in obedience, walking in dependence, with an explosion of grace, telling other people, listen, you don't have to get what you deserve. You can get what you don't deserve. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful you came. You came to save sinners. So thankful that you went to the cross and you took on the cross what we deserve, the penalty for sin that's death, so that we could have what we don't deserve, eternal life in you. Thank you for dying and rising. And listen, if you've never received eternal life, if you've never chosen heaven as your home, won't you now? Won't you just admit to Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose? And won't you commit to him? Jesus, I want you to come in and and be my savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. If you've done that for the first time, won't you? Won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you or tell someone. Oh, Lord, I pray for those of, of us who've chosen heaven as our home. As we walk home with Jesus, we would walk humbly this week. Help us to walk in obedience. Holy Spirit, help us to see the beautiful life and give us the desire and power to take the next step and the next step in following Jesus. And Lord, I pray this week that we would extend grace to others. Help us to to have an explosion of grace in our lives and in our homes and in our schools and in our community because, Lord, everyone needs grace, especially us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.